Let's hear God's word from the book of Ecclesiastes, chapter 11, beginning with verse 1. Cast your bread upon the waters, for you will find it after many days. Give a serving to seven and also to eight, for you do not know what evil will be on the earth. If the clouds are full of rain, they empty themselves upon the earth. And if a tree falls to the south or the north, in the place where the tree falls, there it shall lie. He who observes the wind will not sow, and he who regards the clouds will not reap. As you do not know what is the way of the wind, or how the bones grow in the womb of her who is with child, so you do not know the works of God who makes everything. In the morning sow your seed, and in the evening do not withhold your hand. For you do not know which will prosper, either this or that, or whether both alike will be good. Amen. We'll end our reading there in verse 6 of Ecclesiastes 11. Let's once again ask for God's help in prayer. Our gracious Heavenly Father, give us understanding, give us faith, give us, Lord, all the graces that we need to grasp from your word what you would teach to us. Father, we ask that you would be pleased to distribute to each one according to their need, that here in this time of proclaiming your word, we would receive the nourishment, the guidance, the light that our souls need. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. This part of Ecclesiastes receives two or three different general approaches to interpretation. Some people will take it about investments. Some people will take it about generosity. Some people will apply it to the work of the church. Some people will apply it to business life. And there's an amount of uncertainty about what is the intention. And I actually think that that is deliberate. Solomon is writing here in a way that's meant to be evocative. In other words, you read it, you hear it, and it brings something to mind for you. And what it brings to mind for you may not be exactly the same as what it brings to mind for somebody else, but that's okay. Cast your bread upon the waters. Where a tree falls, it will lie. You don't know how the bones are knit together in the womb. This is poetic writing. It's meant to be evocative. You're meant to read it slowly and kind of mull over it and see what it calls forth from your own mind and heart, from your own range of associations and experiences. Now, there is a theme, though. There is something that's very clear that is repeated here and that is sort of unique to this section of Ecclesiastes. And that is that three times you have the statement, you don't know. Verse 2, the second half of the verse, you do not know what evil will be on the earth. Verse 5, you don't know what is the way of the wind. You don't know how the bones grow in the womb of her who is with child. You don't know the works of God who makes everything. And then again in verse 6 in the middle, you do not know which will prosper. So what is this portion of Ecclesiastes about? Well, it's about the things that we don't know. And there are a lot of them. There's a great deal that we don't know. And that helps us to put this portion with its evocative atmosphere, with its sort of slow and meditative approach into context with the rest of Ecclesiastes. What was Solomon doing just before this? 
Well, you remember, Solomon exposes the vanity of life in this world. He tells us that the world is messed up, and he gives us some hints as to why. But then he comes face to face with the reality. Yeah, but we still have to live in this messed up world. This world is never going to satisfy us. We can't find our happiness. We can't find our security. We can't find our meaning here. This world is vanity, and so our purpose, our joy, our comfort have to be transcendent. They have to be higher. They have to find something outside of this world to center on. So he gets us that far, but then there's still, yeah, but I am actually here. I'm stuck here. I'm trapped here. What do I do on a day-to-day basis? And so Solomon has been giving us some wisdom about that. Now, one of the challenges of life in a world that is marked by vanity is that there's a lot we don't know, and yet we have to navigate it anyway. So let's approach this evocative passage from that perspective, bearing in mind that maybe more than one thing, maybe there's more than one application that we can make of these various words. Now, it starts off by saying, cast your bread upon the waters. So for the kids, make sure you check out with your parents if it's okay before you do this. But I would suggest that a way to help you to remember this sermon is when you get home, get a piece of bread and throw it in a bowl or bucket of water. Please don't throw it in the toilet. Don't throw it in the bathtub. Make sure wherever you're going to throw it, it's okay to throw it there. But in a bowl or bucket of water, throw a piece of bread in and see what happens. Now, the text says, after many days, you will get it back. I do not recommend that you leave your piece of bread in a bucket of water for many days and then check back with it. I don't think that's what Solomon had in mind. But just as an activity for the kids, you might want to put some bread in water and see what happens. That can be your application of Ecclesiastes 11 for today, if your parents say that it's okay. Now, in a general way, there's three suggestions. One that has received very little support. One guy thinks that this is a reference to making beer. I I question whether that's really applicable. Other people see it as a reference to trade, to international commerce. Send your bread out upon the face of the waters. In other words, ship your grain overseas in hopes of selling it there and see what you get back. After many days, it will return. You'll recover your investment. And then they read verse 2 in that light as well. When it says, give a serving to seven and also to eight, you could say, divide a portion to seven and eight. In other words, don't put all your eggs in one basket you know, ship some to Egypt, but also ship some elsewhere, maybe ship some to Greece or to another part of the Mediterranean world. Maybe if one ship sinks or if the market is saturated there, maybe you'll get a good return on your investment from somewhere else. So you could take these verses as speaking about we're living life in a world with a lot of uncertainty. There's a lot we don't know. Take risks, invest your money, but diversify. Don't put all your eggs in one basket. You don't know what evil may come. You don't know which ships will sink and which will return. So distribute and distribute widely. But you could also apply that to generosity, as many have done. Share. Cast your bread upon the waters. Give even when you don't see how you're going to get it back. If you throw a a piece of bread into a bucket of water, 
you're probably not going to eat that piece of bread. So it seems like you're just losing it. But after many days, it will return, says Solomon. So a lot of times when we're generous, when we give to seven, we feel like, okay, I gave to seven. That was enough. But no, then we give to one more. We also give to eight. Many times then you'll see that there's advantage to that. The Lord loves a cheerful giver. Those who give to the poor lend to the Lord. So there's that line of interpretation for these verses in Ecclesiastes. And of course, you know, today maybe you're in a position to help. You might not be tomorrow. So you hedge against calamity. You invest while you can, but you also do good while it's in your power to do so. Maybe tomorrow you're the one in need. Maybe tomorrow you're the person who needs a hand. You don't know what evil may come upon the earth. Maybe your opportunity to invest will disappear. Maybe your ability to help others will diminish. So do it now. Do it today. In that way, we could say that in light of the ignorance, in light of all the things that we don't know, Cast your bread upon the waters. Be generous, but also invest, also distribute. However, we don't want to spend too much time on the first two verses because we have four more to go. In verse three, he seems to be talking about some things that we can know. There's a lot we don't know. We don't know what evil will be on the earth. But if the clouds are full of rain, they empty themselves upon the earth. That's The general pattern, although sometimes we're disappointed here in the valley, aren't we? We see clouds, but the rain falls somewhere else. Or if a tree falls, there it lies. You may almost ask yourself, why in the world does Solomon even say that? We know that where a tree falls, there it lies. That's a pretty obvious thing to point out. That's like saying, wherever you go, there you are. Thank you for that brilliant insight. I already knew that. So why does Solomon bother to include that? Well, I think there's a couple of things to bring out from that. One, it's still related to this issue of time. There's a time to do things. You have opportunity now, but when the rain starts to fall, it's going to fall. When the clouds are full, they're going to spill their guts, so to speak. And when a tree's time comes, it's going to fall, and that's it. It's done. It's inevitable. It's irrevocable. So there's a lot we don't know, but some things are predictable. Some things are inevitable. You can't stop them. And some things are irrevocable. Once they've happened, there's no going back. Where a tree falls, there it lies. And one way you can think about that, I've heard it applied this way, is to how we recollect somebody who has passed away. Once they've died, once they've left this world, in terms of this world, where the tree fell, there it lay. What they did, what they accomplished, their legacy, for good or for ill, it is what it is. To point out something else, that's also pretty obvious, right? So if we look at the verse in that way, it would be reminding us again, in light of all the things you don't know, take the opportunities that you have. Some things are going to happen on their own schedule. Some things can't be undone. Some things can't be avoided. You need to take your time before the tree falls. You need to do what you can before that happens. Wherever it falls, north or south, there it lies. 
But even as we're concerned to seize the opportunities, even as we're concerned to do things while we have the chance, he adds this in verse 4. He who observes the wind will not sow, and he who regards the clouds will not reap. Now, here again, there's more than one way to take that. On the one hand, some people think about this as a sort of a daydreaming or wool gathering. What are you doing? Oh, well, I'm cloud watching. Okay, well, if you're cloud watching, most of the time you're not working, which is not to say there's never a good time for cloud watching, but you don't want to do too much cloud watching. You're never going to get anything done if you're just watching the clouds. So in that way, you could take it as being a commendation of diligence also, of work while it's opportunity to do so, work hard. And the passage will say that. I think that's part of it. But then think about the agricultural practices in Israel during the time of Solomon. How did they plant? Well, they did broadcasting. They picked up the seed and they kind of chucked it in an ark. Well, if it was a very windy day, would your seed go more or less where you wanted it to go? So if you were watching the wind, you might say, oh, it's too windy to go out and plant seeds today. We're not going to sow today. And then, of course, when it's harvest time, when you're reaping, that's when you don't want rain, right? You do not want a lot of water falling out of the sky when you're trying to collect the crops. So you could also take it this way. There are people who are like, oh, no, no, it's too windy to sow today. Oh, too much chance of rain. I better not reap. Well, it's fine to be a little flexible. It's fine to try to choose the best time. But if you're too much of a perfectionist about it, you might never do it at all. You know, you run into this. For instance, these days, there's quite a few people who are suddenly waking up and saying, you know, we thought, well, we won't have children until after this, until after this, until after that, until after that. And then one day they wake up and it's very difficult to have children now. They were waiting for the perfect time. And when the perfect time rolled around, they were no longer in perfect condition to have children. So you could apply it in that way. You could apply it to farming. You could apply it to life in general. If you wait for the exact right moment to say something to somebody or to get something done, you might never do it at all. The window of opportunity might utterly and completely close. It's the same thing with charity, with doing good to others. Is today a hard day to stop by and make a visit? Is today not a good time to help? It might not be, and and that's understandable. But on the other hand, the window of opportunity may also close. So we need to have a sense of urgency as well as a sense of timeliness. There, is, there are seasons for different things. Ecclesiastes has taught us that, right? There's a time for everything, a time for every purpose under the heaven. But there's a lot we don't know. You don't know when that window of opportunity will close. And of course, you can apply that to spiritual things as well. Is today the best day to read your Bible? Maybe you're in a bad mood. Yeah, but maybe you still need to read your Bible. Is today the best day to witness to somebody? Maybe they just saw you lose your temper with your groceries and kick your tire. But maybe there won't be another opportunity. There should be some urgency about all of this. There is something to be done before the rain comes or the tree falls. 
So while there are seasons for things, daydreaming, wool gathering, or waiting for the perfect time, they can all prevent us getting done what we really need to do. But then at the end of our passage, Solomon again reminds us of what we don't know. We don't know what is the way of the wind, and the word for wind is also the word for spirit. So some people take it, and you'll find it this way in the King James, for instance. We don't know how the spirit comes into the child who is developing in the womb. We don't know how the bones grow in the womb of her who is with child. So we don't know the works of God who makes everything. There's a lot we don't know. There's a lot of uncertainty. What do we do? In the morning sow your seed, and in the evening do not withhold your hand. For you do not know which will prosper, either this or that, or whether both alike will be good. In other words, he's saying, you don't know which one is going to turn out well, so do it all, basically. Work hard, be diligent. Work morning, work evening as well. Which project will turn out? Some of you have many irons in the fire. Some of you have many different hustles of one kind or another that you're engaged in. Well, that's fine. You don't know which one will turn out to be the one that carries you through this year. You don't want to have too many irons in the fire. You don't want to have so many that you don't do a good job with any of them. But here again is that principle of diversification. So morning and evening. So you see how the whole passage can be read in terms of very practical advice. Here's, we have to deal with life in this vain world. We have to deal with life in this vain world where there's a lot we don't know. Invest, take risks, but diversify. Be diligent, don't. Wait for the perfect time, you know, be timely, be on top of it, seize the chances that you have, work hard. That would all relate to how do you make it in this life? How do you go from one day to the next? That's very practical advice for all of that. And I hope that people already are taking it to heart and applying it, that this is encouraging you because you say, yeah, that is what I'm trying to do. That is how we are living You can also apply that, of course, to charity, to generosity, to giving, to helping others. Give to seven and even to eight. Give even where it seems unlikely that you'll get a return, like casting your bread on the waters. In the morning, give, and in the evening, give again. You don't know where the needs will be. You don't know how all of that will work out. So you can certainly take it as advice in those ways, and I think it's legitimate. You can also apply it, of course, to the work of the church. Should the church be distributing? Well, yes, we should. Should we be proclaiming the gospel far and wide? Should we be preaching the word in season and out of season, as Paul said to Timothy? Yes, we should. Should we preach when there's a big crowd? Yes. Should we preach when there's a small crowd? Yes. Should we give the gospel to people who are interested? Sure. Should we give the gospel to people who seem a little bit hostile and skeptical? Well, sure, there too. Now, you're going to want to do that with wisdom, but we should be distributing. Should we be sending out missionaries? Should we be supporting different works in different ways? Yes. The answer to all of that is yes. Where the tree falls, there it will lie. We have a limited window of opportunity, but we need to give to seven and even to eight. We can't wait for the perfect time to share the gospel. We can't wait for everything to be just right over in the Philippines before we try to help them with their theological education. 
We have to start with where they are. We have to scatter our seed in the morning and again in the evening because we don't know which will prosper. If you knew who would repent and believe the gospel, well, you'd just go around and you'd talk to them, right? And you'd ignore everybody else. But God hasn't given us that information. We don't know. And so we need to preach the gospel to every creature, as it says in Mark chapter 16. So we can apply all of this to the work of the church as well to give, to encourage, to support, to show up, to participate, and then to extend the work of the church in your own sphere, among your friends, among your family, among your acquaintances, your neighbors. Do what you can do to spread the good seed of the word. You know that comes from the Lord's parable in Mark chapter 4. The one who sows the seed is the one who's spreading the message of the kingdom. Well, let's sow in the morning and let's sow in the evening. Let's think about and implement different ways to bring the gospel to those who haven't heard. The church is here and we gather and we worship and we enjoy fellowship together, but we are not here just for ourselves. We are here to glorify the Lord and we glorify the Lord as a community, as a spiritual family. But we also glorify the Lord by reaching out to those who do not belong to us yet. We can never lapse into this mindset, well, we've got our church and we're happy. There's enough people there to keep the lights on, doors open, so we don't need anybody else. That's not the point. The point is to preach the gospel. The point is for others to come to know the Lord. The point is for Christ to be glorified in the conversion of sinners. And we can apply the passage to all of those things. So by way of wrapping up here a little bit, what does this passage teach us? Well, in the light of all that we don't know, be diligent and practical, but also be generous and prudent. Seize opportunities and don't wait for perfect timing. But we need to add this as well. Be humble because there's a lot you don't know. You don't know the way of the wind. You don't know how God knits the bones together in the womb. You don't know what evil will be on the earth. And notice this also, the end of verse five, you do not know the works of God who makes everything. Now, when it says makes everything, our tendency maybe is to look back on creation and say that God is the creator of everything. And that's certainly true. But the word for makes here is not the word for creates. They're two different words. So that idea could be included, but it's broader than that. It's not just that God created everything. It's that God is at work in everything, that God is active. You remember Jesus said that to the Jews in John chapter five. He said, my father works And I work. They are constantly at work every day, Father and Son and Holy Spirit, doing something. You can read Psalm 104 and find out how the Spirit is involved in everything that's happening just in creation with the animals and with the birds. But it's more than that. God also has a plan. God has a purpose. God is not subject to vanity like this world is. And amid all the ups and downs, amid the evil that comes, amid the trees that fall and the rain clouds that burst, God is doing something. Now, we don't know how he's doing what he's doing fully, 
God in his word has given us a hint. He's given us some good glimpses of what his overall purpose is. But how are we going to get from point A where we are right now to point B where Christ wipes away all tears from our eyes? There is a lot about that road in between that we do not know. You remember the disciples thought about this. They thought that Jesus was the one who would redeem Israel and they thought they knew what that would look like. Well, he was the one who redeemed, but it didn't happen the way they expected. It happened through his crucifixion. So they were all confused and they were all upset. We trusted that he would redeem us, but then he got killed. We thought we saw God's hand at work. And then they were thinking they were wrong. They weren't wrong. God was at work. The one who was talking to them even then was the risen Jesus. Well, we do that. We look at our situation. We wonder, is God at work? Well, the text tells you God is at work. God is doing something. We look at the promises. Christ will build his church. God will wipe away all tears from their eyes. There will be no more sorrow, nor crying, nor death, nor tears, nor any such thing, for the former things have passed away. And we're like, "Uh uh-huh. I don't see how you get from point A to point B. You don't have to see it. You don't know the work of God. You don't know what he's doing. You don't know how he's doing it. But you can live with what you don't know. You can put one foot in front of the other. You can be diligent and humble and generous and practical and prudent and all the rest of those things because God is at work in everything. And you know what the purpose is. You know what the outcome is. God works all things together for good to those who love him, to those who are called according to his purpose. What is the good that God is accomplishing in your life? What is God doing in all of this up and down and all of this uncertainty? He is conforming you to the image of Christ. He is making you like your Savior. Well, was Jesus' life a straightforward clear path. It starts good and it gets better and then it explodes in glory. Not exactly. He's born and laid in a manger. He's born under a threat of death. He's born under foreign oppression. And then they have to skedaddle to Egypt. And that's just the beginning. Well, you're joined to Christ. You're being made like Christ. Do you really expect your experience not to include those difficult and confusing and downward elements? Of course it will. Of course there will be sickness. Of course there will be death. Of course there will be tragedy and heartbreak along the way. We are crucified with Christ. But we live with him. We rise with him. We reign with him. We are seated with him in heavenly places. How? Is God making me like Christ right now? I don't always know the answer to that, for me or for you. But that is what God is at work doing in this world. And so we can put one foot in front of the other in spite of all the things we don't know. Because we do know, as Jesus said, my Father has worked hitherto, and I also am working. He is doing everything And when we reach the end and we look back, we will join with those others in marveling and saying, truly, the Lord Jesus has done all things well. Just take the worst thing in your life right now. Look at it. 
Think about it. Feel it. And remind yourself. When we reach the end of the story, you will look back on that thing and you will say, the Lord Jesus did that well. That's what we can know. And that's how we can keep going. Amen.